Hello everyone, welcome to the inaugural episode of Math Chatter. My name is Deba and I just created this podcast as a place to discuss things in mathematics that I find super interesting. Um, As a result of that, I'm probably not going to have a very, very specific focus with the podcast going forward, but I want to discuss more general topics from time to time, for example, about math history or current news or topics in math that I find really interesting that I want to share with everyone. Um, You can expect episodes weekly is I think what I'm going to aim for in the summer, but then once school starts up again, maybe bi-weekly as I get busier. I am a high school student, so a lot of the math we're going to be discussing probably won't be super overtly technical, but just about um, mathematics more generally. So today what I actually want to talk about is something called the Mary's Room Paradox, which is a thought experiment that I heard of through a video that uh, I believe the TED Talks YouTube channel made made a while ago. And I want to talk about how I relate this paradox to mathematical objects and what we mean when we have things that are described in the world of mathematics but might be more difficult to talk about, you know, quote unquote, in real life. So, uh, first off, I guess, what is the Mary's Room thought experiment? Uh, It was created by a philosopher named Frank Jackson, and the thought experiment basically goes like this. So, Mary lives her life in a black and white room under, you know, black and white lights with black and white books and black and white possessions. But in spite of all of this, she is a brilliant scientist who is an expert in color. So Mary knows absolutely everything about the physics and the biology of color, about how our eyes interpret color and the cones behind our, uh, our eyes that allow us to see the light spectrum and allow us to see different colors. So Mary knows all of this. And one day in her research, as she's sitting at her computer, a glitch happens and suddenly a picture of a red apple appears on the screen. And this is the first time that Mary has ever actually seen color and color pigment in any form. So the question that the experiment poses is, does Mary learn anything new from seeing the color red in the apple? The thought experiment discusses what's called physicalism, which is the idea that everything in the world that exists both in our minds and in the physical world around us can be described through physical words and physical, uh, I, I suppose not physical words, but words and through physical expression. So if Mary does learn something new from seeing the red in the apple, what it tells us is that there are certain things that cannot be expressed through words that are innate to the experiences that we have. This is called qualia. So if Mary learns something new from actually seeing the color red, then qualia exists. If she doesn't learn anything new, however, we can say that everything can be described in our world, or at least in this context, uh, through words and through things that are physical that we can discuss. So how do I think that this relates to math or even some other fields? I want to start, I think, with a different example that's not entirely about mathematics, but rather about music. Because if you were a brilliant musician and you were given a piece of sheet music, you might be able to, you would certainly be able to see the way that the notes play out on the page, to see the beat of the music, to see how the melody and the harmony interact with one another. But would you learn something new or have a different insight into the piece if you actually heard it for the first time? I think this is kind of a similar question to what the original thought experiment poses. And then, when we talk about mathematical objects, 
a lot of times these things that we discuss in the world of mathematics. Would we gain any new insight if we were able to actually quote-unquote see the things that we were talking about? I think that a parallel that we can take to this is the idea of Pythagorean's theorem. So everyone's got a favorite proof to Pythagorean's theorem, and some of them are numerical, but a lot of them are geometric. So think back maybe to the first time that you ever heard of the idea of a squared plus b squared equals c squared. Was there a new insight given to you when you were able to see the way that the shapes worked geometrically after having just learned the formula? So I think these are questions that come back to the idea of mathematical intuition. Does the ability to see the objects and the formulas and the relationships that math describes give us a better insight into what the math actually means? And I personally think it does. Um, I think that there's ways to argue for both sides. If you were an expert in Pythagorean's theorem and knew everything numerically about that formula, would you learn something new from seeing the way it plays out with shapes? Another thing I think is worth mentioning here is the idea of higher dimensions. Now, like, I don't propose to be someone who can visualize higher dimensions, like a, a super spatially armed genius, but I like to think sometimes that even the idea of a tesseract, which is just a glimpse of what four dimensions might look like, helps us to clarify in some ways uh, what it means to do math and work in four dimensions. So do these mathematical objects that exist in higher dimensions, even if we were to study them to such a specific degree that we could tell a given person could tell you anything about a higher dimensional object, would we gain a new insight from actually seeing it? And you know, I think that we would. I think in a lot of cases it's really similar to like a kid learning geometry or learning about 3D shapes for the first time and getting to actually hold models of cubes or models of triangular pyramids. And there's something that's very special to that experience that isn't translated when we say something like a cube is a three-dimensional figure where the height, the length, and the width are all the same and all meet at 90 degrees with one another. Or it's a six, uh, it's a figure with six faces, all of which are composed of squares. I don't think that those things, while they may perfectly describe a cube, can translate the understanding that one would get when they actually looked at a cube. I think in a lot of ways, these representations of math that exist outside of the world of just numbers are really important to helping develop what is called math intuition. And I know that's kind of like a vague term that gets thrown around a lot when we talk about understanding math. But my take on it has always been that if you get a greater math intuition on a certain topic, it means that you've been exposed to some frame of reference or some viewpoint or some way of looking at a problem or a concept in math that has deepened your understanding of what that concept means and uh, what it represents in a certain way. So I think that the Mary's Room Paradox and the idea of qualia is really cool when you think about mathematics. People that, you know, dedicate their entire lives to researching and looking at these things that maybe we can't express fully in our worlds. What would it be like for them to be able to see, like truly see in all dimensions or in all uh, spaces, the work that they're doing? Would they learn anything new? 
Um, I would love to hear you got your guys' thoughts on that and about what it means to develop mathematical intuition through these things. Um, next, I just want to discuss a little bit what I'm reading currently in mathematics. Um, the first is a book called Math Squares, 100 Concepts You Should Know by Miriam Feinberg and Rachel Thomas. Um, so this is a really fun, like little bite-sized 100 explanations of concepts in math that I've really been enjoying a lot. Uh, next, I'm making my way through Math with Bad Drawings by Ben Orlin, which I absolutely loved. I had to take a break to write my exams a few weeks ago, but I'm back on making my way through that book. And I actually just saw this morning on Twitter that he's announced his second book to be released in October. So I'm super excited to pick up that one as well. Lastly, I'm also reading A Brief History of Time by Stephen Hawking. Uh, this is my first time reading it. I'm about halfway through. It's been really interesting so far, and the writing style is quite good. It's not exactly a purely mathematic book, but again, I would really recommend it if you haven't picked it up yet. Um, please, I would love for you guys to recommend any books for math in mathematics that you enjoy or you would like to pass on as well. Um... In addition to that, you can find me on Twitter. So the actual Twitter for this podcast and, for, you know, for my thoughts on math in general is called at Deba Chats Math. Uh, Deba is spelled D-I-B-A. And then you can also find me at a different Twitter handle called at Funny Maths, which is less serious math content where I just make like math jokes and little comics and stuff like that. I would love to hear your feedback on the first episode, any comments or criticisms you guys have. This is my first time making a podcast, um, so I really, really would love to hear any feedback that you guys have. Thank you for listening, and I'll be back with another episode next week.